This is The Extra Mile. Hey everyone, welcome back to The Extra Mile. I'm Killed Spear along with... G5. The G5. And today we're going to be talking about bouncing off of a sermon from yesterday that humility is the absolute key to unity. A great sermon, by the way. Oh, thanks, George. You're a prophet. <laughs> yeah. Because technically, this is Friday. <laughs> but that's what, that's what I talk about in the future. So if you were here, you heard it. It's like back to the future stuff here with time travelers. <laughs> it's mind-boggling a little bit, but we can all get it. We'll get it. <laughs> so the, the topic, as I just mentioned, is unity. And we want to look a little bit further into the absolute necessity of unity amongst God's people because Christianity is Christians individually. Uh, maybe it's because there's so many platforms and different ideas going out there. Um, but man, you feel like there's a lot of divisiveness. It seems very divided. If you look at all the other religions, I mean, Christianity for sure just seems like it's divided into thousands of different sects and different opinions and different beliefs. And it doesn't help that everyone not only has different opinions, but they're arguing over those and pointing fingers and blaming others and hurting and really causing division. Yeah. I mean, you think about uh, where we are as West Texas and the city of Lubbock. There is no shortage of churches in town. Now, I don't know all the details of everything. There could be very good reasons. If, you know, if there's a church, you know, in each section of a neighborhood, that kind of makes sense if you're just trying to hit each area of a city. But at the same time, there are so many churches, quite frankly, um, so in a lot churches. of areas. It's just kind of like a group. I mean, this stuff literally happens. A group that says, we're going to start our own church. And then and that new church that's been started from the other church, at the new church, people are like, we're going to start our own church out of this new church. And Yeah. Um, the cycle just continues and continues and continues until we have this problem we have now. Right. And it just seems like this this topic is kind of floating in the air. We're kind of hearing it a lot, and this idea of unity. Yeah. And I want to be very clear. We do, uh, we do not forsake truth for unity, because there's mm-hmm. no unity if there's no truth. Right. And, of course, the truth, capital T, is Jesus. That's and he should be the unifying factor. <laughs> yeah, he is the unifying factor. So let's take a look at what you brought up here in Psalm 113. Beautiful psalm here. I mentioned this in my sermon last week, but it says, uh, especially verses 5 through 9, it says, Who can compare to the Lord our God who sits on a high throne? He bends down to look at the sky and the earth. He raises the poor from the dirt. He lifts up the needy from the garbage pile that he might that his he might seat him with princes, with the princes of his people. He makes the barren woman of the family a happy mother of children. Praise the Lord. I love this idea in verse five. Who can compare to the Lord our God? This idea of this king, excuse me, sitting on a throne, a high throne. Mm -hmm. It's one king. And one kingdom, and we're unified in that. And that's pretty amazing to be a part of that. Yeah, it really is. He, one king, Yahweh Eloheinu, he's, he, you know, the great I am, he's the unifying factor. Right. He is the unifying factor. And you see, part of God unifying his people is demanding, you know, justice for the poor and the needy. That last verse, he gives the barren woman a home. And certainly in ancient Near Eastern culture and even in Hebrew culture with just Yahweh, not uh, polytheistic, but even just in Hebrew culture, if you were barren, 
the question was, what'd you do wrong, right? Mm. <laughs> God must hate you. You're being punished for some sort of <laughs> sin we don't know about. And God makes it clear, no, those are the people I I look out even for the lowest of lows. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's exactly it. As one king, you see other kings on this earth that really forget those things like this, like the needy. They can be easily forgotten, people who are in the, the garbage pile. And what God does that's different is he doesn't overlook anyone. He sees everyone. He wants everyone to be unified, needy, anyone who's poor. And not only that, but he gives us a purpose where it says it makes a barren woman of the family a happy mother of children. Not that he's just going to give every woman a child or, or, or whatnot, like literally that verse. But when we're unified as a family, yeah, as God's people, yeah, we can see a lot more spiritual fathers and mothers coming to make an influence, and that is also unifying as well. Great point, and uh, uh, it's a great passage. Yes, it is. And, and when you look at it, we want, we think Great Commission Matthew twenty-eight, and that's so true. But here, you know, God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Um, I want to have and carry out the king's mission. And part of his mission in unity, like we were talking about here, is looking out for the neediest people. That's what he did in flesh as his son and Jesus. And he was looking out for the neediest of people. Now, spiritually speaking, Nicodemus was a needy guy, despite he was probably wealthy. But overall, like he was looking out for the people who no one else cared about. Right. No one else cared about the poor, the lame, the blind, and so on. So I think a big conversation of disunity today, we talked about it a little bit just within the church. You've got uh, race issues, justice issues, and people throughout that kind of language. And, man, there's not a lot of sitting down and talking. There's a lot of you no hate one. poor people yeah. if you say this, or you hate the gospel because you're only talking about poor people. It's like, let's stop. <laughs> Stop pointing fingers. Stop judging people, too. Yeah. yeah, it's it's not good. And when people are like, oh, that person who's talking about social justice just doesn't care about God, you're theologically illiterate. Of course they care about God. We may even disagree with their conclusions or how they're going about something, but I don't know of any true prophets of God who we're screaming about people being too worried about justice. (laughs) Usually, I think almost, I think usually it's the false teachers who misrepresent God in scripture, who oppress people like the scribes and the Pharisees in Jesus' day. And that's the thing a lot of times, social media probably doesn't help too much, but this idea that, you know, personalities can be a leading issue in division because people are drawn to that charismatic personality rather than the actual truth. Right. And we see that as a problem. You know, why is division such an issue uh, and a yeah, problem? Because we get stuck on people often as well. Uh, 1 Corinthians 1 talks about yeah. that. Um, Paul says in First 10, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all of you agree and that there be no division among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. That's not saying literally opinions. Again, this is like an attitude, Philippians 2 idea. For it's been reported to me by Chloe's people that there's quarreling among you, my brothers. Uh, What I mean is that each of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. So it seems to me the problem was people in ego boosting were really like, 
oh, Cephas is so bold, or Paul does these miracles. Like, they were caught up in the people rather than the person of Jesus. And that's nothing new. You see that today where people gravitate towards leaders and pastors and whatnot, right? Yeah, we do. We see it all the time. But the urgency in Paul's language here, I urge you to come together in the name of Jesus Christ, the same mind, same purpose. That goes back to, you know, uh, Psalm 113. Yes. Um, the solution is verse 13, a rhetorical question, is Christ divided? The right. answer, obviously, is no. Christ is not divided. And then he goes on to say even further, hey, was Paul crucified for you? Of course not. Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? No. No, they, they were not. So Jesus is a unifying factor. And thinking of Christ divided later in the same book in 1 Corinthians 12, talks about the body has many members, yet it's one body, right? right. For by one spirit, we're all baptized into one body, not Paul's, but Jesus's body. Um, And we possess all things from Christ, right? That's right. I mean, a dysfunctional body is not going to be effective or efficient or healthy. And if God, you know, in order to do be better at achieving God's purpose and mission. We need to be uh, a functional body. Um, and that goes right to Ephesians 4, uh, I believe. This yeah, Ephesians 4. Body. Ephesians 4 gets into a huge idea of a body because they're baptized. And Ephesians 4 brings up being baptized in a Christ name as well, right? That's right, yeah. Um, but between Apollos and Cephas, I think he's getting at the fact that Apollos was... I think in Acts 18, we find out he was eloquent in speech. Oh. So people were caught up in the fact that he's that a really good speaker. charismatic personality. Yeah, there you go. And that's why I think Paul says in verse 14, 1 Corinthians 1, I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that none of you may say you were baptized in my name. I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize. Right? You can't baptize people without preaching the gospel. That's it's just, right. But to preach the gospel, not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. That's and right. if you go down to verses 23 and 24, he says, We preach Christ crucified. It's a stumbling block to Jews. It's foolishness to Gentiles. He says... Look, the point's in the cross, not in a speaker's abilities, not my abilities to heal, not in Cephas being bold, because all glory must go to God. It's useless if it's in the person. Right. So Christ is not divided, and he's one. We possess all things in him. George or myself, no other teacher is crucified for you. That's right. Christ alone was. We're baptized into that name, not anyone else's name. Um, so we don't try to win converts just because, just by eloquence. We try and win them with the message of Jesus. That's what true teachers are going to do, because God's going to get the glory. That's right. And it, uh, the whole chapter ends with this idea: let no, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. Right. And so, as you've mentioned, this unity is further talked about in Ephesians four. That's right. Uh, a great passage. This passage not only just shows. You know, what is our goal? But how can we achieve that goal in unity? And he starts off very practical in, uh, in verses 1 and 2. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, urge you to live worthily of the calling on which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, putting up with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Hmm. 
That's a, a great passage, and, and it's very practical. There's that idea of you, uh, humility coming through every time. Uh, if if we put ourselves first with our pride, then we're gonna. It's gonna be about ourselves, and Christ isn't gonna be a unifying factor. But if we have humility, we're gonna be able to step back and glorify God and make sure that Christ is the center focus in our unity um, as as a body. Yeah, I, I like it's this idea of a worthy calling. I think the act of creating one family in Jesus requires his children, us, to live in a manner that honors his work. That's right. We're not honoring Christ, the work of the cross, with disunity and division and hate. Uh, Not at all. Um, I think that Greek word walk, this idea, is is like conduct yourselves. It's like kind of the idea. Mm -hmm. Um, And verse 5 says it all. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God. And Father of all, mm-hmm. Father of all, uh, so powerful there. And that goes back to even the Psalm 113 that we talked about. That's yeah. one God, one kingdom that we can be unified under. Uh, that's amazing. And he gets so practical, too. He says, you know, there's actual practical ways. How can we grow? Verse 15, by practicing the truth in love, same, same verse, to grow up into Christ. Mm. And then in verse 26, to build itself up in love. There's an idea of love and love and love and love. Humility and love equals unity, but humility and love is also a picture, a, a perfect reflection of Christ. Yeah. Christ is that idea of love. First John 4, 16, right? God is love, and whoever abides in love also abides in, in God. Right. And and we need that, that that center focus because in verse 13, it's the goal here is until we attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. Yeah, and that indicates a knowledge that comes uh, from experience, not just yeah. knowing about Jesus, but knowing Jesus himself. There are lots of people from believers to even unbelievers who could give you a lot of academic mumbo-jumbo of here, here's all the things that the Bible says about this subject and that subject and all the controversies and where they have a strong opinion in those controversies and all the things, uh, you know, memorize scripture. Sure, you know a lot about Jesus Christ. Right. right. Do you know Christ? That's why we got to be careful drawing lines where scripture doesn't draw lines. Mm-hmm. Uh, the same way I don't want to take from the Bible, I don't want to add to the Bible. I want God's Word to speak for itself. And I'm not saying we're going to have perfect interpretation. We've talked about that in the past. Um, but, man, when I see someone who has fruits that look like Jesus, even if I disagree with some of the stuff that's going on, I need to be more careful coming to them because I'm looking at someone who's been changed. Right. Who's been be changed. changed. It's literally, I mean, it, it'll, it, that's literally the comical yet depressing state of the scribes and Pharisees who were very educated in Scripture, who could walk, you know, a million <laughs> miles around whatever person who's screaming out for Jesus, Son of David, have yeah. mercy on me. But the guy who is screaming for David, the Son of David, to come and heal him and begging him is the one who met Christ and was changed by Christ and followed Christ quite literally. That's the one. <laughs> that guy had salvation because the trust was in Jesus, and he was changed That's right. by Jesus. Verse 13 says, until all attain the unity of the faith and knowledge of the Son of God. If you think back for a second, 
on the prodigal son mm-hmm. and, and the compassionate father. Both sons didn't really know their father. You know, we need to know God. They all expected a different answer in each of their situations, even though each of their situations yeah. were different. But they got the same answer. The prodigal son is such a great example because one leaves and that's easy, but one thinks he's really has a relationship because he's hung around. Yeah, absolutely. And they all both want their father to act or expect their father to act differently, but he acts the same. Very compassionate, loving, and merciful to both. Let's look at John 17 as we begin to wrap up. Yeah, sure. Um, Again, this was brought up in a sermon recently or recently if you're listening sometime in March 2021 but um, it's called the high priestly prayer and in John 17 verse 20 Jesus has amazing prayer he says I don't ask for these that's the 12 only but also for those who will believe in me through their word mm. right and that's us yeah <laughs> that's us that's us that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory that you've given me, I've given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, you and me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me, and love them, even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. It's a powerful prayer. It's extraordinarily powerful. powerful. To think that Jesus prayed for us too. Uh, and he wants, he wants all believers there, not just that this present time is giving this prayer, but as long as God was allowing human beings to keep living, to be united yeah. in Him. And this is Jesus being, you know, that mediator here, mm-hmm. requesting the Father for our sake. And it's amazing that you think about the question. I think I brought this up in in that sermon. Um, but you think about the question, how much does God the Father love God his Son? Mm. I mean, what would you say? Like A lot. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> pretty infinite. You yeah. Know, like it's God's love. And yet Jesus is saying here, um, that last verse, that the love with which you, the Father, have loved me, the Son, may be in them and I in them. Um, Jesus is saying the same love the Father has for him is the same love he has for us. Oh, which is pretty powerful. Shows how much he loves us. Yeah, and that's your that's John three sixteen, mm-hmm. right? I mean, that's 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 how much God loves us. Yeah, and, and it's you know the goal is completely one there, and people may say pretty negative attitude. That's uh, what's the point? We're never going to be unified. Yeah. Um, but Jesus saw it worthy to mention it in his prayer and make it a goal for us. And we should be positive. Why would God not want to answer this prayer? And we should be positive. If Jesus saw it as important, then it should be important to us to strive for that unity. Yeah. Um, we that's going to glorify every. That's going to glorify God, and it's going to show everyone who is great, yeah. who is the king 
the one king. Right. If we have that mindset that everyone wants the gospel proclaimed, everyone wants our good works to glorify our Father in heaven, we're going to be a lot more unified. Because right. Jesus is saying here, oh, the world's going to know this is true if there's love and unity amongst my people. So if there's not unity amongst God's people, it's not going to be a very good witness to the lost, which means we're not going to want to be disunified because disunity does not glorify God. No. Yeah. No, it doesn't. Be unified in humility. Yeah. And don't be down about it. Be be positive. Mm. Be uplifting and, and, uh, and zealous, ready to conquer um, for the sake of Christ. That's right. Well, I think that's a wrap. I think so. Go so, everyone.